Um, so I've been taking food over to her and she, you know, she weighs in on presentation and seasoning and all that stuff. Our sous chefs have been working on new dishes. So that's been great because she can be a part of things to some degree. Um, she gets tired really easily, of course. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's been good to see her because, you know, when you imagine someone who has just had a massive stroke, you sort of imagine a completely paralyzed person who can't talk and looks really bad. And that's not what the situation is. This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. And you're going to find on sale now at Zupan some fresh coat peonies, old-fashioned potato salad, fresh and wild Hawaiian ono, and more on special. That changes every week. So depending on when you're listening to this podcast, you want to go check zupans.com to see what's on sale for their full list of specials. I'm going there today to get some Mount Hood strawberries. Oh, yeah. This, I love the the Hood strawberries. The Hood so strawberries. Good. Are they not Mount Hood strawberries? I think they're both. They're just I th I've, I've seen it both ways, actually. Okay. But yeah. all the produce at Zupans is spectacular, and it's beautifully displayed. It is. And while you're at Zupans, be sure to check out their event list. The big dinners in the Breezeway in Lake Grove, for example, coming up on the 9th. Everything pork, four courses with wine pairings on the 23rd, the Tuscan Feast on the 21st of July, the Mediterranean <laughs> Feast. And you got a book now because I tell you, I went to look for the lobster and clam bake dinner. Already it's gone. sold out. Yeah. So, so before these are sold out, mm -hmm. book. Definitely. And then uh, you'll see this week, if you go to the news feed, I go into Zupans and go check my phone for what's the deal. This week, buy one, get one free of hanging baskets. And all their, all their plants and flowers are really pretty there. So uh, mm -hmm. it's a good opportunity. So they have an excellent floral department. Um, so it's a good time to make your deck or garden look beautiful with some plants from Zupans. Three locations, McAdam, Lake Grove, and of course, West Burnside. And always, Zupans.com. Once again, for Portland's Food Scene Podcast, it's right at the fork with uh, Chris Angeles, Portland Food Adventures. And Court Johnson from kink.fm. That's right. I like that we both introduce each other. It's very, it's kind of a very uh, yeah. unselfish, well, altruistic thing. I, you know, I I'm we're, I think we're both somewhat <laughs> modest. I don't want to toot my own horn, but I'll toot yours. No, you know, there's... You yeah, no, it's good. I learned long a, a long time ago... Wow, someday I'd love to go into this. I did, and it paid off in mm -hmm. a different way. I did a multi-level marketing thing back in the late 90s. Oh. was phone service, okay. which oddly enough was the same company. I kind of learned about it as I went, and I said, nah, I got to get out of this. Plus, I went through a divorce. So yeah. I got out. But the thing is, the thing I learned there was that what what works is if somebody else, if you want to get someone involved in something, you got to have somebody else to what they could use the word edify you. Sure. So that would help because uh, you can't talk about yourself and no one's going to listen too right. much if you're tooting your own horn. Right. Toot somebody else's horn. Yeah, I don't know if you're tooting yeah, your and, horn. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of that on, on Facebook right now. There's a lot of MLM going on in my newsfeed. Oh, and it's thankfully people, not in mine. Not on yours, no. But <laughs> it's that it's this exact thing. They're not talking about themselves. They're talking about so-and-so yeah. is using this and look at the results. Yeah. Well, that's the way they, that's their proven methodology. And I could see, so if I was trying to get people on a phone call, yeah. right, I would say, you got to hear this guy court. He, and I, and I said it with conviction when sure, I stopped right. having conviction on all of it, <laughs> same thing in 
selling something I was selling at the time. Well, um, well, well let me sell this because you're not going to get any M- MLM on this uh, episode of Right at the Fork. But no, you're going to get you're going right ever right. <laughs> Do we want to say ever? I'll, okay, we'll say ever. I will just say that it turned into business for me. The there was some of my best friends in my downline. Yeah, right. Okay, it turned into business for eighteen years. Oh, see, there you me. go. So, so it worked, that, still worked it, out. It wasn't the multi-level marketing <laughs> thing, but it was. We we were strong enough and solid together, trying to work that business where right. we ended up doing business together. All right, that's. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry, everybody. No. Here's but here's what I want to do. I I want to I want to toot the horn of today's episode because I think it's one of the, it's I think it's one going to be one of the best episodes. Episodes you ever tune into on Right at the Fork? Yes, we already know that. Right. So we've already heard it. We've talked to Liz Davis of Chico, uh, and it's um, it's a tough conversation. But Liz had checked in with Kelly Myers to see how she felt about her discussing her situation, how it came about, mm-hmm. and uh, Kelly was okay with it. So um, Liz does a, an incredibly marvelous job. Of describing how Kelly had a stroke, yeah, a massive stroke, mm-hmm. and how that came about, and they still don't know exactly why. But uh, but anyway, in this episode, um, it's for me the only word I could think of was gripping. It yeah. was gripping to listen. We don't have we don't always have gripping episodes. No. we have interesting episodes, but this was. Uh, and then um, I thought it was really fascinating to go back and talk uh, about. Um, their formation of Chico yeah. and how they got together, how they got to know each other. And, uh, and at first they weren't real crazy about the idea. And then, and then, you know, the people in the business are passionate about what they do. Mm-hmm. And so she explains how Chico came to be and how they came into business and what they do. And I learned, I don't remember when they opened. I think it had to be back around 13. She might say it in the I episode. I think that, sound, that sounds about right. Yeah. Right. So we had a PFA there on uh, in July at, when they just opened their patio mm-hmm. in July of 2015. And it was beautiful. And the food is so authentic. And, um, you know, they tra- we were going to hear about it. They traveled down to Oaxaca. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's one of the things you're going to really respect about not only the business, but what Liz and Kelly have done over the years to keep things real over there. Certainly. And as you, as you talk about that PFA that you did back in 2015, we should also point out, and you talk about it in the episode, about a PFA that's coming up that people need to know about. Right. The reason people need to know about it is we're doing a benefit for Kelly. 100% of ticket sales from this event on July 18th uh, are going to Kelly's cause to help her pay for her rehab and her pretty extensive bills, as you'll hear, there was about a month and a half stay in ext- uh, uh, intensive care. Mm-hmm. So um, so what I did is I have a few contacts and I wrote some of our friends at restaurants and we came up with over 30 gift certificates, uh, 30 places, 30 restaurants to donate gift certificates, which we're kind of turning into cash for yeah. Kelly. So if you come to this event, we have a couple of different ticket levels, but at the at a minimum, you get 75 bucks worth of gift certificates to great places. You can check that out on uh, at Portland Food Adventures, see where they are. But, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a great list of restaurants. These are not places that need to do this. Yeah. They were places that want to do it, mm-hmm. right down from, you know, Ringside to Canard to Lovely's 5050. I'm just naming some off the top of my head. Uh, Padna's, uh, really cool places. Mm-hmm. Plus... 
Um, we had such, re, uh, even today, response from lots of folks. We're doing a raffle if you buy, because we're still getting stuff. Still getting stuff. I've already kind of built out the. Built out. This is what you get for 200 or 250 yeah. bucks. But anybody who buys a ticket is going to be entered into a raffle to win some farm spirit seats, which is great. Oh, yeah. And we have voodoo donuts. I was I was actually surprised those folks came out and said, hey, we want to help. Nice. Like everybody did. Yeah. Not surprised because they wouldn't, but, you know, right. they're busy. Yeah. So, but, um, but at any rate, we have voodoo donut dozens and the folks from Raft... Uh, the they make bitters and, and oh, yeah. we we had some of their stuff at Boki uh, Boki Doki. Mm-hmm. The cocktails were great. I was raving about them. So they came out with some cocktail kits, and then at the two hundred fifty dollar level, we have tickets. People can uh, there's going to be we only have fifteen of those. Somebody's going to walk away with feast tickets to either night market or two a couple of tickets to night market or uh, smoked. And by the time I think well, it's sold out already. They just went feast tickets just went up for sale. I think on Friday, right? Right. So uh, they're sold out. So yeah. you can get those. So lots of good stuff. Not to go on and on, but please join us. We only have forty seats. It's going to be a really cool party with a lot of good people. We even have some guest chefs uh, either going to be there or bringing uh, a course or two. So very nice. Yes, thank you. Portland thank Food you. Adventures is where people can go. Port- PortlandFoodAdventures.com to get all the information on that and buy their tickets. Right. As long as you're at the website, check out our trips. Yeah. Too. You got I some mean, great we trips. Have, we got a trip to Barcelona with Chef Jose Chesa of Atala. That's fantastic. Just check that out. It's uh, it's fantastic. And we have a couple of spots. We're just about sold out to Sicily. So that's what happens. So get on this now. Very nice. Now, Chris, uh, since we're talking about traveling and eating, I think it would be very appropriate right now for us to talk about something that, that happened last week that I think whether you were a big foodie or you're not, it, I think it had a profound effect, which is the passing of Anthony Bourdain. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I have yet to meet somebody who wasn't a fan, even even just mildly a fan. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's it was really, really sad. It's not, he wasn't, you know, he used food as the conduit. Right. And, you know, there nobody did TV like he did. And I watched the Berlin episode last night, right mm-hmm. before the tribute. Yeah, and my God, it's just so well done. Right, and it's so sad that there isn't going to be somebody doing. I think some of the most important television that's ever been done. And sure. uh, yeah. I mean, in terms of opening people's eyes up to what the rest of the world looks like, mm-hmm. and they made a point on the CNN tribute that I think was really good. He, what he did was he allowed us to see what people and countries were like. Outside of the politics, you know, when we hear about Iraq, we just think of... You're looking at it through a lens of, of what the, you know, what the mainstream war. stuff and war and what's all the all the political, right. geopolitical stuff going he, on. He let yeah. us see what, what everyday people, what they thought and what they were doing and how they ate. Yeah. There, it, was, it was incredible what he does, much like we wouldn't want people to think of the United States as our political structure. Oh, right, right yeah. Now. It's like, that's not the way we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, come down and have a meal with us. Yeah. And I thought about this on the way in here today, and, um, you know, what he did is sit down, and he said it a, a numerous times, sit down and just have comp- conversations and ask the simplest questions. Mm-hmm. What makes you happy? What do you like? Why are you making this? Where did this come from? Where did this meal come from? It's kind of like this. The I'm not going to put us in the same category, but wouldn't we like to just 
move away from this studio and sit down and have these conversations over a meal. Right. Oh, yeah. The podcast would be that much better. Yeah. Because it would be that much more relaxing and, and that's exactly what we try to do, but we have no food or drink signs nope. up here. Okay. Microphones and liquid don't go, <laughs> don't go very well together. Exactly. So uh, it's really sad. The saddest part about it is you look at a, you look at a, it's much like you would look at Robin Williams or anybody who's left us. And you can't figure out, you know, you look, you think he had a great life. He yeah. actually, in these episodes that I was just watching, in the last year, recording last year, was sitting there saying he was eating and he was with friends and he literally barked out, I'm so happy yeah. right now. Yeah, there, there, there's that. But there's also, if you know, knowing what, what took place and what transpired, going back and watching some of that, there, you know, the, the Travel Network was showing a lot of his original series, No Reservations. And I was watching some of that, and there were little subtle things in that where you start picking up, okay, as and he called it he had kind of this this great life after he found the travel travel show. Um, but I think he was fighting some demons and and you start seeing some of that come through. And he, he even talked about it in one of his books. Right. Thoughts oh, yeah. of depression. Well, everybody and, knew that, but yeah. depression is a rough thing. I've gone through it and you can't just flip the switch no. and say I'm gonna be better. But in his case, for me to look at him, even having been through that and yeah. understanding, you can't understand it. You know, he looked, he didn't have the symptoms right. outwardly. No. And that's what makes and it so difficult. he was saying he was happy yeah. and he had, an, he had a little girl. Yeah. Um, so I'm so sorry for him and for him that he, the demons were so powerful that they overcame those reasons yeah. for not ending his life. And so sorry for everybody. But I was thinking about this also. He's not in the, I mean, everything he did is still going to be accessible. Oh, yeah. So he's still going to touch people. And I talked to one of my best friends this morning. She said she has not watched any Anthony Bourdain. And I said, well, you've got a binge treat in front of you. It's a little bittersweet. But um, Mm -hmm. if you never watched any of his shows, Parts Unknown and- No Reservations. No no Reservations. Uh, and then there was the other one. There was the the thirty six hour show. He had the layover show. The layover, I, right? I, the layover. I, I think it was when he was getting unhappy at the Travel Channel, so they gave him another show, right, to see if they could keep him. And then, and but, I saw him in Portland in two thousand fifteen at yeah. the, at the Schnitz. Yes, mm-hmm. and uh, he talked about the transition from the Travel Channel to CNN, and yeah. they basically gave him a blank slate. Said you can say what you want, do what you want. Right. And he loved those guys yeah. for that, and. And you could see the tribute that was on last night. I'm sure it's there for those who can stream um, recorded shows. Um, CNN, everybody just, they thought he was the best thing on, on the network. Yeah. And he was, for sure. Mm-hmm. He was the best thing on TV. How about this? I was thinking my, if I was to have a poker poker match and be able to invite whoever I want, course court, I'd invite Sure, you. all right. You'd win all my money, but, but okay. I, but it would be, and I really mean this, it would be... Uh, Gary Shandling. Sure. I don't know if Robin Williams would be great at a poker match. He'd be a little distracting, but right. yeah, that would be That'd nice. be fun. But Gary Shandling, Anthony Bourdain would be awesome. Letterman would be fun to have there. Yeah. And Larry David, those guys. And so Anthony Bourdain, for me, just having come to grips with my age in the last year, yeah. he's in my, he's right there in my class, a mm-hmm. little, couple of years ahead of me. Yeah. Um, Man, nobody did what he did, and he went through a lot. And he means a lot to people in different ways. Right. Those of us who travel, and I started Portland Food Adventures, not because of him, but you don't think. And this 
don't think that I oh, yeah. didn't have that in mind when sure. I want to expose people with Jose Chesa and right. Barcelona. That's the kind of experiences we love yeah. and people pay for. Mm-hmm. But then there's this whole community here everywhere, but especially I've seen it in Portland, where he's had an impact on chefs and food service people in a different way because of the books. More right. so because oh, of, yeah. they were handed a book. Yeah. They were handed Kitchen Confidential mm-hmm. years ago. And uh, so he impacted them and get, showed them the way and made them feel respected and loved. Um, so anyway, we can go on and on. So I contacted Andy Ricker uh, yes, over the weekend, and uh, we're hope, we hope to just have a little segment with him because his episodes, Andy yeah. got to spend hours, mm-hmm. days with, uh, with Anthony. He's got a couple of different episodes in New York, and he was the host in Thailand. And I uh, certainly want to hear from Andy on his thoughts, and then there are quite a few other people. Nick Zukin spent yep. quite a bit of time with, with Mr. Bourdain. So mm-hmm. uh, rest in peace, Anthony. We hope you, or Tony, whatever you call them, yeah. Mr. Bourdain, AB, I'm seeing a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, man, thank you for what you've done, and, uh, and uh, we're all the better for it. Oh, we have an episode. Now we have an episode. Yes. Chico and Liz Davis, um, who is the general manager at Chico. Uh, I met her when she was at Nostrana in 2005. Mm-hmm. And she, or 2000, I'm sorry, 2010. She talks about that. But um, Liz, they run a beautiful place. She's got a, a, lot, a love of Mezcal and um, Oaxaca now that she's been um, working with Kelly for the year over the years and Liz was just hand, I think handled this interview beautifully and explaining what has gone on in a very difficult period this is this is the most difficult time yeah. or difficult introduction I think we've ever done right so uh, listen to Liz check in to come support Chico not only at our event on July 18th, but just go to Chico. It's great. Mm -hmm. Just go and encourage your friends. When you're having that moment where you can't think where to go, put that one right at the top of your list, not only now, but forever. It's always a good choice. Mm -hmm. Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by Zupan's Markets. For over 40 years, unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to the freshest baked goods, flowers, and more, with the delicious emphasis on locally sourced items. The best of the Northwest Bounty can be found at your closest Zupans, on West Burnside, McAdam, or Lake Grove, and at Zupans.com. Eat well, put taste first, love your food. Ringside Hospitality Group. Owned by the Peterson family for nearly 75 years, Ringside Steakhouse has long been a landmark of the Portland landscape. And Ringside Fish House, in the heart of downtown, boasts the freshest seafood and an exceptional wine list. Both serve the world-famous onion rings that James Beard claimed to be the best he's ever had. Visit ringsidesteakhouse.com and ringsidefishhouse.com and make a reservation today. Join right at the Fork Coast, Chris Angeles for once-in-a-lifetime trips this fall to eat and sip your way through Sicily, Mexico City, and PFA's famous trip with Italo chef Jose Chesa to Barcelona. See the exciting itineraries at portlandfoodadventures.com and find Chris's contact information there too. If you love food and travel, these trips are for you. And make sure to check in on local PFA events. And by San Pellegrino. Iconic, 
fresh, sparkling water with extraordinary Italian heritage is a refreshing way to enhance any dining experience. Ask for San Pellegrino by name next time you're having a great meal. Ever since its founding in 1899, San Pellegrino has been a premium brand synonymous with style. So thank you yeah. for coming in. It's been a little, it's been a hairy time for you. It's been interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Are we on? Yeah, we're on. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, you were on from the minute you walked off the elevator. No, just kidding. <laughs> That's the other part I didn't mention. Yeah. <laughs> How many other things did you not? Did, did you not? Pretty much all of it. That's it. So yeah, you know my regular spiel. So have you done this often, by the way? Podcasts? Well, podcast radio. Not much. Sitting in front of a mic, TV. Not very much. In the recent past, I've done a couple interviews because a couple of. TV channels interviewed me about Kelly. Right. What has just recently happened. But yeah, not much. Mostly print media. Right. Well, that's that's a scary thing because then you go, wait, you look to see how you're quoted and how things are changed around a little bit. Uh And context, right? Because Uh you can talk for, I've learned, you can talk for three or 4,000 words. And then when they have to pick the 500 that they want, Uh it's can sound very different. Anyway, um, thanks. And we wanted to talk just a little bit about um, Kelly mm-hmm. and Kelly Myers, who's your chef. Mm-hmm. And I want to go backwards a little bit at some point, but I want to talk about how you guys, I know you met, I'm assuming at Nostrana. That's true. Right. So I just want to talk about how you guys decided you loved each other enough to start a restaurant together. Because <laughs> that's, that's a marriage right there. That's true. So, uh, but how, so talk a little bit. We're in um, early June now. Uh-huh. This will probably run uh, next week. Okay. So how is Kelly doing? Why don't you talk a little bit about, so not everybody's familiar with exactly what happened and how it happened as much as you're comfortable with. Right. Okay. Um, so, at, well, she has had what amounts to a massive stroke and it. Uh, let's see. She had an aneurysm and we don't know if she had an aneurysm from the time that she was born or if she developed an aneurysm at some point in her life. Um, it seems like there have been periods in her life when she was symptomatic. Uh, so she would have ocular migraines occasionally and some other chronic pain. Um, but what I've learned is that you can have an aneurysm that goes undiagnosed Um, if you have a doctor who is aware of the possibility of an aneurysm and you show symptoms that hint that you might have one, in some cases they'll give you an MRI and an angiogram and find it and repair it. Sometimes that doesn't happen. And so we don't know if Kelly has had an aneurysm for a long time or not. Um, we didn't see symptoms until we were on a staff trip to Oaxaca, which was at in mid-April. And we went to a little town called San Dionisio Ocotepec to do uh, an agave reforestation prog- project with Oaxaca Mezcal. Uh, Oaxaca is spelled phonetically. 
It's W-A-H-A-K-A. Well, so Eduardo Bilanzuaran is a friend of ours. He is the brand ambassador for Oaxaca Mezcal, and he's one of the owners. And we see him all the time at Chico. And when we started to plan a staff trip to Oaxaca, he got really excited because there were going to be 13 of us down there. And he invited us to help them plant 600 agave babies in the mountains outside of the city of Oaxaca. This is an awesome opportunity for our staff to see what it takes to grow agave. Mm. And so we were all really excited about it. We were also, I was apprehensive about taking a bunch of restaurant industry up to altitude uh, after probably drinking a ton of mezcal the night before because we were traveling in Oaxaca. But this wasn't your first... Not my first trip, no. Was it it the first staff trip? Because I know you... No, we took our managers uh, down there like in year one. Okay. So none of the people who were on this trip were on the first trip. Uh, And this was a much bigger trip. The first time we went with like five or six people. This was 13 people. And remarkably, all of the people who went on this trip donated their labor to our lunch service for 10 weeks. And that's how we raised the money for airfare and uh, lodging. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we launched that's a, this. That's thing. a nice way of doing it. Oh, man, I mean, Everybody's so all in on this. They're, they're yeah. all in on the trip. They're all in on planting uh, agave. agave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we talked a lot. So to get back to the day that we went to do the reforestation project, leading up to it, we had talked a lot about the uh, possibility of getting altitude sickness. Um, I was worried that that might happen to anyone on our staff. I wasn't really very worried about Kelly, but wanted to make sure that people were aware of what happens when you get altitude sickness. Um, so we'd been talking about it. And the, the morning went like this. We all met in the Zocalo at eight o'clock. So no breakfast, not a lot of sleep the night before. It was two days after we had arrived. So we're still kind of, you know, there was like travel fatigue going on. Um, And we'd been out the night before, drinking mezcal, out for dinner, out pretty late. Uh, We got on buses that Eduardo had coordinated, and we drove out to the Palenque, where um, the mezcal is made and the family who makes the mezcal lives. Um, So it was like an hour and a half long drive. Nobody had eaten anything, and a couple of us had coffee. so as soon as we got out of the vans and into the Palenque, uh, Kelly had a thunderclap headache, couldn't move, couldn't open her eyes. Uh, she could not really stand up straight. It was sudden and extreme. Mm-hmm. And I thought that she got altitude sickness. Luckily, the family who run the Palenque, um, you know, they have daughters and there was a bedroom there at the Palenque that was really dark inside. Um, So I walked Kelly over to this little girl's bedroom. We laid her down in the bed and the family, thank goodness, knew the town doctor and called the town doctor when after a few minutes and it was clear that 
Kelly was in a lot of pain. Uh, so the town doctor came. She was a really sweet woman. She took Kelly's blood pressure, which was high. She gave her some blood pressure medicine. And shortly after that, we all had to get in pickup trucks and drive up to the mountain to do our agave planting. And Kelly stayed back. And what we think happened now, in retrospect, is that there was either a small bleed from an existing uh, aneurysm or that because of all of the circumstances, she became very symptomatic all of a sudden. So travel stress, lack of sleep, no food, um, a little bit of altitude, change in climate, you know, they don't really know. Um, so we went up and did this insanely difficult agave reforestation project day um, where we dug holes with mm, like steel spears in the rocks and planted 600 agave plants in the sun. Um, and were you... Uh Concerned with Kelly, you were concerned, but were you thinking about it throughout the whole day? Was it, geez, I don't know what happened, or you? So or, we were cons- was the real red flag up yet? We were definitely concerned, but we had convinced ourselves that it was altitude sickness. Okay, um, it displayed like altitude sickness, like a really bad case of it. Right, um, and we knew that there were people there taking care of her. There were people who stayed back. The doctor was there with her. She was going to stay there until Kelly's blood pressure came down. So, yeah, we were concerned, but, I mean, we didn't think that this was a life-threatening situation. It turns out that if the aneurysm had, of course, if it had burst while we were there, we would be, we would have been retrieving a dead body from Oaxaca. I mean, you know, she could have died. Luckily, she didn't. And when we got back, like six hours later, um... She had gotten to the point where she felt good enough to leave the little girl's bedroom and sit outside. But that was also, you know, I don't know that she would have done that 100% voluntarily. What was also going on is they were setting up to have this huge party that night. And so there was really, really loud music playing out of huge speakers. And she needed to get away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Then, you know, we spent the night, we spent the evening there, had a big party, had an amazing um, pollo and mole negro, which we will be having at the PFA. Um, which we'll talk about in a bit. Which we'll talk about in a bit. And we went back to Oaxaca after drinking a lot of mezcal that evening. We went back to Oaxaca City. Uh, Kelly went the next day to see a doctor who is the cousin of Eduardo in Oaxaca City. And that doctor also thought that she had altitude sickness, gave her some migraine medicine, which made her feel a lot better. And she seemed to recover over the course of the trip. She got a lot better. We had dinner together. We had, we went to markets and bought ingredients. I mean, you know, we, we lived off the trip and then flew home to Portland. And when she woke up the next day, she said that she worse, she felt worse than she had the whole time. Mm. And then went to Kaiser and they started running tests. And they thought it was a bunch of different things. 
and finally did a spinal tap and found white blood cells in her spinal fluid. And that clued them into the possibility of internal bleeding somewhere. And then they uh, did an MRI. And that's when they found the aneurysm. And while she was under for the MRI, they talked to her husband and sister about going in to repair the aneurysm. And they signed off on that. And in that, during that operation, what they do is um, install a, a coil splint, which is like a thread, like little coil that goes, they go in through your femoral artery and install this little coil splint for the blood to run through. And in that process, the coil broke. And that's what caused massive bleeding in her brain. And mm. that is what caused the stroke. So it didn't happen in Oaxaca. It was actually an, a, a risk that was discussed beforehand, a risk that's associated with this particular operation. And unfortunately, it happened. The breaking coil is a, is a risk that they're aware of? Is a risk that they're aware of, yeah. From what I've read, it's, it's discussed with everybody before they uh, agree to have that operation. Hmm. Yeah. And so, you can't, when you're in that situation where you're listening to the risks associated, you can't, it's impossible to weigh, okay, well. I don't think that they really had an option not to do it. Right. I mean, I don't know that for sure, but I don't, I don't think that they had the option to say no because then you risk, you know, an aneurysm rupturing right. at some point and you don't really know when that will happen. You don't know if it will happen. So what I've heard is that people, when you find an aneurysm in someone's brain, you have to go in and make that repair or else it could happen when you're driving or it could happen, right. you know. Um, so luckily she was in the hospital when this happened so they could get to her. They were there, you know, to get to it immediately. Stopped the bleeding as fast as they could, but not before her brain was starved of oxygen because it's filled with blood. Mm. Um, for long enough to it to be classified as a massive stroke. So right now, Kelly is paralyzed on her right side. Mm. Um, but she, cognitively, she's intact. Um, her speaking is, is very good. Um, she seems to remember everything. Her palate is intact, which is great. That's, that's kind of key. Yeah. Um, and now it's all about rehab, intensive physical rehab so that she can get her mobility back. So she's not standing right now then. So she's not standing right now, but the reports are that she has stood maybe six times on her own on the parallel bars when oh, she's in rehab. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's really good. And from what I've heard, like your, your arm is the last thing to come back online cause it's pretty complicated and multifunctional your leg doesn't do quite as much just kind of holds you up so that comes back online faster mm -hmm. um i don't believe that she can see or hear out of her right eye and ear right now but they expect that to come back online too so she she was in the icu for a long time uh like almost a month and now she's in a hospital waiting 
to go to the intensive rehab um, program at Good Sam, which I guess is the best one in Oregon, and I hope that that's saying something. <laughs> yeah, you don't. You, the, these things happen, as I said. You don't know. You have to learn everything as you go. So yeah, uh, hopefully. So yeah, yeah, that is the best one, and even whatever it is, they just they're good at. Yeah, this, so I've so. heard. Yeah, good. So, um, so you actually sound a little, we, we spoke about this a week ago uh-huh. and you sound a little more optimistic. Now yeah. Than you so did then. I saw her four times last week. Oh, good. Uh, she's super close to Chico right now. Um, so I've been taking food over to her and she, you know, she weighs in on presentation and seasoning and all that stuff. Our sous chefs have been working on new dishes. So that's been great because she can be a part of things to some degree. Um, she gets tired really easily, of course. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's been good to see her because, you know, when you imagine someone who has just had a massive stroke, you sort of imagine a completely paralyzed person who can't talk and looks really bad. And that's not what the situation is. She's alert and um, she doesn't, she looks pretty good all things considered. Yeah. So, and those, those are good indicators for how things will go going yeah, forward. Yeah. Right? I sounds... mean, you have to, as many things are growing well, those, those contribute to your ability to be motivated and also to be able to do it. To do yeah. Rehab, so. Yeah, totally. Um, a lot of people who have massive strokes don't get the opportunity to go to intensive rehab because they don't expect them to regain their mobility. Mm-hmm. So this, you know, we weren't sure, and I know that the family wasn't sure what the next steps would be, and those things have come into focus now because the doctors see the progress that she's made and see that potential. Oh, that's great. Yeah, super that's great. That's good to hear. It's super great. I have no doubt that Kelly will fully recover. She has a 14-year-old daughter to recover for. She may not come back to Chico and cook on the line like she's been doing for the last five years, 60 hours a week. But she shouldn't have been doing that anyway. Yeah. So it's not an easy job. And can I? I don't know. You're speaking on Kelly's behalf. Yeah. Just, just to get a feel. uh, What? Where is she in the age range? Because she's about fifty. Yeah. In the context of doing that hard work and all that happens. So yeah. Yeah. Fifty is about the time when a lot of chefs start figuring out how to cut that cut that time down. Anyway. She is amazing in a teaching role. It's really her strength. She's, I mean, anybody who has ever worked for or with Kelly will say that she is a great teacher. And if she can come back in that capacity, we would be thrilled. Hey, Chris, we get to talk about one of our favorite places here in Portland uh, because you've been going to the fish house a lot lately. Yeah. I enjoyed the steakhouse. We're talking about Ringside Steakhouse and Ringside Fish House. For Mother's Day, it was a great thing to go, and and Father's Day, by the way, just around the corner. Yeah, did you? Were you sitting at that big table by the fireplace? No, we were we were adjacent to it. Okay. Uh, we, we didn't have uh, enough. And they put that table special together, special for us, Chris. Right, it's normally went, just yes. I think a, it's like a four top. That's through no, there. No, I was there the other night, and they had another, I another big with, table. I in did there? go with my yeah. son for. We tried to go to Ringside uh, Steakhouse for happy hour no. at like ten o'clock. Right. Too packed. Right. Which is because it's so good. Right. And we ended up going over to Fish House mm-hmm. and did that because I like to enjoy all those 
really cool things. Yeah, I've been, happy hour I've been following with, with my son. Yeah, I've been following your adventures with all the different seafood the last the last couple of weeks. So if you follow your Instagram account, right, Portland Food ADV, you'll see, what was the, it was like the it was the seafood platter. Oh, it's the chilled seafood the chi- platter. Yeah, but you know uh, some of Amazing. it is also posted on Food Podcast PDX, so you can see sure, that too. both places. But last night I had the uh, I just had to I had a hankering for this mm-hmm. a hankering for the. Um, Hot King crab legs. Oh, nice! They were great. Yeah, they looked good. I yeah, saw that a picture. Drawn butter. We yeah. used to get those in college off of a truck in Tucson, Arizona. They would sell king crab legs. That was the first time I'd ever had them. Off of a truck, from the East Coast. Yeah. Off of a truck in Tucson, Arizona. Yeah, but here, no Ringside Fish House. You in know, it's Portland, only the best. Oregon. Yeah, yep. it was great. So they were great, and I've also some of the cool the the donuts there for dessert mm. at Fish House are fantastic. Okay. They're beautifully warm, delicious with a cup of coffee. And uh, also, I discovered the clam chowder. Here's the deal. Three bucks. Three, three ninety-five for a bowl of clam chowder. Wow. Which is better. It's not that thick, heavy stuff. It's right. really well done. And you can get... Have you had the calamari there? We have to go there for I, I haven't hour, had the though. calamari. Yeah, so... I'm totally in. It's like five bucks. It's it's crazy. Yep. But um, anyway, I've been really enjoying Ringside. It's a, it's a pleasure to have them as a sponsor. We're proud. To have Ringside as a sponsor, and we get to try some of the food. Certainly, and they've got the two locations, Ringside Steakhouse, Ringside Fish House, and if you just go to either of those websites, just slap a .com at the end, ringsidefishhouse.com, and you can make reservations right there online. There you go. And don't forget the Dollar Oyster Monday. Oh, can't forget that. It sounds as though um, she has done such an incredible job teaching and mentoring over her time that the kitchen, I, the kitchen's running like a top the way it should. The kitchen's running really well. We're short a couple line cooks. So if anybody knows anybody looking for a job, we could use some line cooks. But we do have two sous chefs and a core team who have been with us for quite a while. Um, it's also awesome that we were in Oaxaca with our newer sous chef, Kelly Towner, same first name. Mm-hmm. Um, and she spent a lot of one-on-one time with Chef Kelly Myers during that time. So got a really good feel for the things that she was excited about in Oaxaca and has come back and put five new dishes on the menu. And that, you know, just listening to this is uh, an indicator um, of the passion that you've had at that restaurant. We met a few years ago. We did an incredible event on the patio, and we're going to do another but I mean, you're open for service for five years. That was one night. But but that <laughs> was an indicator to me of the passion. And when you're talking about your staff, all of them going down yeah. to plant agave and uh, agave, and you, um, there aren't many restaurants that find it that important. There are some. I know I've known a few, but mm-hmm. to take their staff to get to the heart of the matter of what they're doing. Yeah, so, you know, it's really hard to we have difficult cuisine uh because of where we are i think let me rephrase that not a lot of people in portland have had upscale mexican food and it's a tough thing it's a tough sell it's a tough sell because people think they're going to a lot of people come in and think they're going to get burritos and when they don't see them on the menu and they also think it should be cheap right well that too so we do all this table side education about the food and we do a ton of tableside education about mezcal, and really, it's hard to it's hard to describe what the process of making mezcal is like without seeing it firsthand. So, 
to be able to take 11 of our front of the house staff, well, not all front of the house, but to, to be able to take 11 of our employees down to Oaxaca and have them see firsthand how mezcal is made is invaluable because they will be able, they, they can sell it. I mean, they could sell it before, but now even more so. But when you're selling with conviction, it's like anything. Someone can describe oh, yeah. anything, Passion. a dish. Anybody, you got to go have this and until you actually have it. And that's on a very consumer level. But yeah. but until you actually, you know, I've gone to um, Europe a few times mm-hmm. and I've certainly dealt with itineraries for places that I hadn't been. And until you go there right, and... Uh, and see them, and then you, the next time you go, oh, you have a completely different explanation yeah, of that yeah. place. So so to be able to not only sell mezcal, but be passionate about it in a genuine way, yeah, now they can talk about it firsthand instead of what they read and learned. Right, and they're all totally passionate about mezcal now, <laughs> so, <laughs> if they weren't before. I've been tasting mezcal in Oaxaca for 20 years, and the, so the first time I went, I was like 19 and ended up going out to the Palenques and tasting mezcal with a couple other backpackers that I was traveling with. And that was the beginning of it for me. And since then, I've been trying to describe to people and show people videos and whatever about how mezcal is made. And it's hard to get across. I mean, you know, but... And again, if you're not there, you need visual aids. I think that helps because I listened... I went to a dinner with uh, David Briggs at, you know, when we were... Mm -hmm doing a trip to similar trip, but he was talking about mezcal and he gave literally a half hour on it. And I'm uh, during that discussion. I think I really need to see this because just talking about it doesn't, it's not the same thing. Yeah. See it, smell it, taste it, be in the environment where it grows. It's so different from any, any other spirit. Right. That, yeah. So what is it that, gra- so it grabbed David Briggs of Chocolato de David, it's mm-hmm. grabbed you. What is it about mezcal that is um, is so intoxicating? Uh, no pun intended. Intoxicating from a, an intellectual level. From an intellectual level. Uh, well, what I like about the spirit, what I like about drinking the spirit, intellectuality aside, is that it's super clean, not aged in wood. Well, I, and I didn't necessarily mean that. I just meant to contrast from just getting drunk oh, when I right. said intoxicating. Gotcha. <laughs> um, I like it because it's super clean. I have, I know that if you drink only mezcal neat and get drunk, you won't get a hangover if you don't mix it with juice and make cocktails with it. Um, it's unadulterated. So like I can't drink whiskey. It makes me hungover. Um, because it's aged in wood and there's so much sugar in it. But mezcal is super, super clean, and I love that about it. Um, It's interesting to understand it uh, from like a social perspective, the role that mezcal plays in Mexico. Um, It's traditionally made by people who are very poor uh, who have been doing it for generations. And it's really fun to see it get trendy, as it has in the last couple of years. Is it trendy everywhere, or is it a Portland thing? Because I've only been I've been here, so I just want, I always ask I think, that question. I think in the United States, Mezcal has definitely gained 
uh, notoriety, and it's it's hip right now. Uh, the effect that that has on the ground in mezcal-producing regions is wonderful to see. Uh, when we were at the Oaxaca Palenque, they were shipping out 11 pallets of mezcal. They had a huge party, and there was a ton of press there from Mexico City, from Oaxaca City, um, because they want to support this industry that is bringing wealth to these communities that, like I said, have been poor for a long time. Now, when you say wealth, is that relative or they actually get... Are they oh, that's actually, relative. That's yeah, relative. Okay. They're not actually all of a sudden going out and buying their Mercedes. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> just no. to be... I'm just, you know, I haven't been there. So, uh, and that's what I understood from conversations before is that they're coming from poverty to... Yeah, something. and there's some interesting stuff going on. Like, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Richard Betts, but he started Scarpetta Wines and then started... Um, moved, like went to Oaxaca and had a great experience there and decided to start making mezcal. His brand is called Sombra and they are making huge strides in production methods for mezcal using solar, uh, not using animals to mash the agave, uh, using, you know, hydraulic engines instead. Um, using the byproduct of making mezcal to make mud bricks to build houses with. There's all kinds of really cool stuff going on in, in mezcal. And just imagine when they even have more resources, how that, that's going to yeah. make strides, exponent, ex, exponential strides on yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, what I've heard is that solar energy would be really uh, a game changer. Um, but solar panels are very expensive. The only place that I have seen with my own eyes that is using solar is Sombra. But I think that if people could afford it, that would be incredible. Yeah, and there's, well, there's no lack of sun there, too. Right, right. So, right. But I, you know, I understood that solar panels are supposed to be getting less expensive. But of course, that depends on market conditions and different Mm -hmm. trade agreements and all that stuff. There's also a byproduct of making mezcal the the heads and the tails it's called bagasse and it gets um it, traditionally you just kind of throw it away it goes into the groundwater it goes into streams goes into the soil and it's highly toxic it kills all of the um aquatic life and um also spawns this weird algae and uh Kids in these towns have like red eyes and get sick a lot because the water is all contaminated from the byproduct from making mezcal. So Sombra making these mud bricks with that stuff is huge. Could really change things if other people are able to do it, if other mezcaleros are able to do it. Well, you, one would assume that eventually that'll... Well, they're as doing, it, it, yeah, it's all open source. Anybody can go and see the palenque. It just takes resources, you know, it takes money to make these things happen. And I feel a little bit hesitant to speak a lot about it because there's a lot of science behind it that I don't understand 100%. Mm-hmm. But um, if anybody's interested, Sombra has a really great website to check out. And one would imagine, it, is it .com or 
Oh, uh, is it a com? I think. Yeah, just look that. Just Google that. You no longer yeah. have to know. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Yeah. So you had interest in mezcal long before Chico. I did. I love it. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about that. So um, you, and when I met you, as a matter of fact, you, I put together my first yeah. event with you and Kathy Wims at Nostrana That's back in right. 2010, September. Okay. 2010. So I don't know, and I don't think you weren't in on the original discussion, but this relates to what we're going to be doing on July 18th. So I'll just explain it, not to sound self-promotional here, but the, <laughs> but the idea was, and I went to Kathy. Here's the beautiful thing about Portland, and I don't know if it's going to be like this from here on in. So this is Portland, <laughs> 2010. I'm an I'm an advertising guy who just had an idea, and I I think I called for Kathy or wrote, you know, 2010. I guess I wrote an email. And I said, I have this idea that I'd like to run by you for an event. And I've never done events either. Mm. So where I come from in the New York area, someone would have not even responded or just said, what, you know, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? Kathy said, oh, sure, come in. Uh-huh. And we sat down and I said, I have, you know, I've been sitting at chef's counters, which are experiences that I've never been able to have outside of Portland or not very much. And here it's kind of this the thing you do is go to restaurants mm. and meet chefs. And mm-hmm. and I said, I'd like people to get to know you through a dinner, multi-courses where you come out and present it. And again, I hadn't been part of that either. So I was really a complete amateur when it came to events and that sort of thing, because I'm sure they existed. I just hadn't seen them. <laughs> and so I want to do your whole menu. And she looked at me and said, the whole menu. And I said, yeah, I want everybody to get the full Nostrana experience. And she's, Okay. And then I said, and then I want you to tell me your favorite places and let's go meet at one of them, a bar afterwards. We'll bring everybody there and they'll get to have a drink with you. Oh. Yeah. So it's changed. So, and I learned, and so I walked into Bar Avignon that was the first, you know, they're good. She's loves, but she's, Kathy's always been a big supporter of theirs as well as Taste Bud. So I walked into her favorite places, which was, I thought this was really cool. I'm learning who this, this wonderful woman who's, done so much in the Portland food world, what's important to her. I walk into, uh, to meet Randy and, um, help me out. Um, I just got an email from this woman. I know, I know. I hate it. I know her too. I haven't seen her in a few years. I'll think of it. We'll think of it. Yeah. But I walk in and I said, so I'm doing this thing. Nancy. And Nancy. Right, right. Nancy so I'm, I'm doing this, uh, I'm doing this thing with Kathy Wims and we want to bring people into your bar. And as before I even finished, Nancy said, what do you need? Whatever you need is for Kathy. It's fine. So I was initially going to go figure out how to make this whole pencil out and buy mm-hmm. gift certificates. And right, right. But then I, but then I realized, oh, these people want to participate. Yeah, and I, well, okay, you know, I've got to promote. If I talk about, gee, if Kathy recommends Bar Avignon, that's a good thing for Bar Avignon. So here's my hook. Mm-hmm. So at any rate, so I started doing that and we did a beautiful event with Kathy and the first year we were giving out gift certificates. Oh, and we realized we couldn't actually coordinate getting the 20 guests who came to the dinner to go to the bar two days later. Uh-huh. That wasn't going to happen. So uh-huh. then it was just, okay, we'll give gift certificates and people can go on their own to experience the places Kathy likes and subsequently every chef that we've done an event. So that's been the deal. Yeah. So, uh, Revisiting this, I wanted to. I contacted you to see what we could do to help Kelly and keep Chico 
mm-hmm. as vibrant as possible. And by the way, a lot of people have stepped up to help. I know I've gotten, when I sent emails out to people saying we're doing this event, whatever you can do, I got emails back from a few people who said, we just sent cash. We're doing what we can. So this yeah. is this is that same Portland community, you know, the same Kathy Wims who said, come in and whatever you want. Yeah, I they're, think they're there to help. It's been quite something to see since since Kelly's operation. Um, I mean, Nancy sent me an email telling me that they're going to be celebrating their 10th anniversary at Bar Avignon at the end of June. And they're planning to donate a portion of the proceeds to Kelly's You Caring campaign, which I just think is incredible. I mean, I haven't been to Bar Avignon much in the last five years because I've been running Chico. But how lovely. Mm. It's, just, I mean, it's just incredible. Well, and this is a, you know, the Kelly's story touches a lot of people because a lot of us are parents. Something like mm-hmm. that. To have a daughter who's 14, it hits you hard. Mm-hmm. And... And then, you know, small business, what do you do when something like that happens? And, right. and so that's why it struck me. I mean, the, yeah. Uh, and Kelly's worked in Portland for 25 years. So, you she know, she knows a lot of people. Yeah. She started of, at Genoa working with Kathy way back then. Right. And I was going to say early on in this podcast, Court, you remember we had um, Mindy. Keith on. Oh, yeah, that's right. So it was your pastry chef a yeah. few years ago, and she had nothing. I mean, she was glowing about what it was like to work in that <laughs> kitchen. So so um, there's that. So anyway, to just make sure we I complete the circle from that first event that we did at Nostrana, yeah. we're going to be doing an event at Chico on July 18th. And so what I did is I put an email out, and I was, um, it was kind of cool to realize how many people I know. Yeah. That I was just able to <laughs> go through lists and email addresses would pop up. So I sent a lot of emails out. And we have, I didn't count the number of restaurants, but so many responded and yeah. said, hey, we'll give some gift certificates to give to your folks. So the idea is we're trying to turn those gift certificates into cash or revenue for Chico and mm-hmm. Kelly's Kelly's um, cause. What's it called again? Cause I, it's a, it's her you caring campaign, which you, is basically a GoFundMe for oh, medical okay, bills. Okay. Yeah. So, well, I guess it won't go through that, but anyway, it's going to end up in the same spot to sure. help Chico survive and whatever, and rehab services, whatever we can do. So mm-hmm. we have over $4,000 in gift certificates that we're going to be giving out that night in various ways. So some of them are just going to come directly in a gift envelope and they're really cool restaurants. I probably should have written down but you and I, between the two of us, can probably throw a few names out there. Mm-hmm. But so if you buy a two hundred a $200 ticket, you're going to get a six-course, beautiful six-course dinner. And you already had the menu in mind. And I think this was because of your trip to Oaxaca. Well, we know we want to do the pollo and mole negro. Yeah. Right. Super cool. Yes. Blue corn tamales will be super cool, too. So everything, and everything, I'll tell you what, Chico has always been one of my favorite sleeper restaurants, you know, because it's not on all the, yeah. you don't see it on all the top 10 lists. It should be. But I have my friend Ostry, who I do my, who's become a dear friend and that has been our favorite place to go. We seem to come in when you're not there. Yeah. I haven't been there as much since I had a baby. Right. So, um, but at any rate, so the, it's a full six course dinner and, uh, with wine and we're, and, Eric from Shipwreck, who was on this podcast, we have to listen to that one. That was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, just wrote back and said, I want to do whatever I can do. And they're bringing 
Um, they're bringing Jesus and tequila. Yeah, so they're doing a Jesus and tequila as a welcome. Shipwreck is really cool because those play, those dinners are you. When he when he pops up somewhere, there's a line and mm-hmm. it's hard to get into. Mm-hmm. So it was nice of him to do that. And um, and we'll also be raffling off some cool things. I believe we'll have tickets to Farm Spirit um, Feast. Mm-hmm. Mike Thielen came to the fore and said, "Hey, I got some feast tickets for you to Night Market or." Um, or uh, smoked, and those are going to be sold out by the time our event happens. So that's going to be really cool. Those that's are cool. those are worth a lot. So we'll be giving those away. Anyway, that's July 18th. It's on the Portland Food Adventures website. I'm sure there are things I haven't mentioned. Um, we were going to mention a couple of restaurants, but I'd like to encourage people to go to the website to see those who are participating. Mm-hmm. It took on a little slideshow that I do. It took three slides uh, and having, I think, about 10, 12 on each slide to cover all the folks coming in. And and you're talking to a couple of chefs. We don't know yet. They're not confirmed, so we can't really talk about yeah, that. But a couple of guest appearances. Mm-hmm. Donating courses are coming in. So anyway, mm-hmm. that's what we're doing. And I'm, I'm sorry this is the reason that we're doing another PFA. But I do remember, I think it was th- three or four years ago, you just opened the patio. As a matter of fact, the pictures I just looked at the other day, they still had the construction of oh, the, yeah. next of the door. building next door, the uh-huh. yellow um, Tyvek stuff. Um, but it was, an, it, was a, it was a beautiful dinner. Uh-huh. And I actually have, there are a few folks that are still coming that that was the first one they came to. Oh, fine. So that is always a pretty good indicator. Uh-huh. So, um, so that's that. I don't think I have any. you have anything to add to that that I, can, that I didn't? Because I, I can so. be kind of talkative. <laughs> it'll be a great dinner. There'll be mezcal, for sure. And more. And so it'll be a great dinner, and you're going to walk out and be, oh, I didn't finish. For a $200 ticket, you get $75 worth of gift certificates. So if you come out as a couple, you're walking away with 150 to go to places like Canard and Paley's and Headwaters and... Um, Quantrell. Quantrell. They're all great restaurants. They're not places that, you know, do entertainment books to give out free stuff. Um, and so for a $250 ticket, we're doubling that. So you, you get $150 with their gift certificates. And by the way, that's a minimum because I realized the other day some people are writing late. Not uh-huh. everybody's quick on their email. Yeah. So we set that as, okay, this is going to be the deal and that'll be the minimum. So if we get more gift certificates, we'll either figure out a way to raffle them off or put them more in envelopes. So Ooh. it's really a nice way to give. And I just, I, I love the, I just like the idea of figuring out my format and how do we turn this into something better for you. So we're hoping to raise, uh, and folks like Eric went and got all the booze donated. Yeah, really so, cool. Yeah. So we're hoping to raise seven or eight thousand dollars for a chico that night so check it out i have yeah. a feeling we'll sell out it'll go so, to kelly yes it goes it'll to go kelly. to her family yeah yeah so that's good so you and kelly um i wanted to talk about how you the genesis of chico like where you were where you both were with your careers at nostrana and we didn't even talk about how you got into the food business yeah. We can talk about that too however you want to approach that but i'd love to hear how you two decided uh, how you got to that moment, which sometimes we refer to as why we call this podcast right at the fork. <laughs> how you got to that moment where you said, okay, let's go do this. Okay. Um, well, I've been working in restaurants since I could get a job. So since I was 16, uh, I grew up in Sacramento, worked at sandwich shops there, uh, moved to San Francisco and worked in restaurants in San Francisco, places like Delfina and Boulevard. I worked in the wine country 
north of San Francisco in Healdsburg as well. And while I was in Healdsburg, I worked for Franco Dunn, who was the chef at Santi at that time. He was really good friends and still is with Bruce Adels of Adels Sausages, who is married to Nancy Oaks, who owns Boulevard in San Francisco. Mm. So uh, I lived in San Francisco, worked in restaurants for about 12 years and was ready for a change and found out through, let's see what happened. Franco passed my resume on to Kathy and David at Nostrana through Nancy. Uh, and Kathy and David at Nostrana were looking for a GM at that time. And we did a couple phone interviews and I came up for an in-person interview and I loved it and moved here for that position. Had it been, was it the opening? Were no. The, oh, okay. I wasn't it, there it, for the it opening. It had been open. It had been open for about four years. So I remember celebrating their fifth anniversary mm-hmm. in my first year. I was of at being that there. party, I think. It, we did a farmer's dinner where we invited all of the farmers and fed them. No, that wasn't it. Yeah. Okay. It was kind of funny because we basically gave a bunch of stuff away to our vendors for our fifth anniversary, but it was really lovely because we had all of our farmers in for dinner. And as you know, Kathy is really committed to local sourcing. So there were a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I moved to Portland to manage Nostrana. I think I managed that restaurant for three or four years and we did a lot of stuff. For instance, we had the first Negroni social while I worked there, which has now become uh, Negroni week, mm-hmm. which raises like over a million dollars for charity every year. Um, we, really worked hard at Nostrana and it was really rewarding. It was really fun. Kelly was the chef de cuisine there at that time and Kelly opened Nostrana. So she was the chef de cuisine there for, I think eight years. Um, she worked during the day. I worked at night usually, so we didn't have a ton of overlap, but I was working with her menu. Um, well, I shouldn't say that we didn't have a ton of overlap. I mean, we ran the place together basically. Right. But Uh, you weren't there. you but you had a little time she was day that. and I was right. night. Yeah. Right. Um, then I left Nostrana and got a job teaching in the culinary program at the Art Institute of Portland. And I was just ready to not be working 80 hours a week for a little while. And just a little while. Kelly was, you know, know, I always wondered about that. People in that industry at some point, you say, I never want to do this again, or it's just a a little break. I think you get addicted to it, but yeah, Yeah, I was ready for a little break. And you have to kind of figure yourself out after you work that much for that long. It's like you kind of forget who you are and what you are outside of your job. Right. Right. So I got this sweet position teaching 15 hours a week for like $45 an hour or something nuts like that. I taught a class on wine and I taught a restaurant class where each quarter a different group of students would enroll in a restaurant class and we would open a restaurant to the public and serve all of the food for free 15 hours a week. We had three days of service. So the first quarter that I taught that class, I had a different co-teacher who did the back of the house and I did the front of the house. But then Kelly was um, ready to be done at Nostrana and the director of the culinary program, Ken Rubin, 
uh, reached out to her to see if she wanted to come and teach at the culinary school as well. It had nothing to do with me. He was just interested in her because she had so many connections in the local community for sourcing ingredients. And he wanted, I forget what her position title was, but it had to do with uh, procurement. Um, So she ended up also taking on the restaurant class. So we taught that class together. And she did the kitchen and I did the front of the house. And it was hilarious. I mean, working with students who had never worked in a restaurant before and then actually opening to the public. That's probably what life is like now in the restaurant business, hiring, trying to find hires, right? Well, trying to find line cooks, but yeah. usually we hire people with some experience. Right. Uh, but what happened with Chico is that the owners of the building at 37th and Division, there are three owners of the building at 37th and Division. One of them, or two of them, also own a construction company in town called Hammer in Hand. Um, when I was the general manager at Nostrana, we hired Hammer in Hand to maintain the physical plant. So they were always in there making repairs. One of the owners. Uh, so anyway, long story short, they approached us and said, we own this building at 37th and Division. We want to open a restaurant in it. Are you guys interested? And we were like, hell no, we do not want to do this. Uh, and then. Yeah, this 15 hours for 45 bucks, yeah. bucks an hour is. <laughs> It's a little better than the 80 hours that you're going to be looking at. Uh, right. And then taking on all the liability of owning a restaurant and, you know. Oh, there are no but headaches. It's easy. then we started to get excited about it because I think that once you've worked in the restaurant industry, you know, it was a huge change going to teach culinary school. Suddenly it was quiet all the time and there was like time to have meetings and that energy just isn't there. The energy, which is really fun and also really exhausting and crazy. Um, We started to get excited about it. And we started to put together some ideas for what we would do if we did open a restaurant. And we got um, very interested in Mexican food because the breadth and depth of the culinary culture in Mexico is really intriguing and we wanted to delve into something different than Italian food. We had both worked in Italian food for all of our careers. Um, So we did some traveling. We went to New Mexico. We went to Mexico. We went to Oaxaca and Mexico City, uh, Chicago to check out Rick Bayless restaurants um, and a bunch of other stuff in Chicago. Um, Kelly got really into masa Um, She's a real believer in controlling your dish all the way from the source, right? So there's no way that you can serve really good tortillas if you're not actually grinding the corn to make them. And she was right about that. Um, We wanted to have a craft going on, like the, like a, you know, like a bread craft in an Italian restaurant. Mm Mm-hmm creates the the backbone of what you're doing. It's the backbone of everything in an Italian restaurant, the bread, right? And the pasta. Um, Well, in our restaurant, it's the corn and the masa. And so that's how we ended up doing what we're doing. We we had a Molino built for us 
which is a corn grinder um, by this guy in East LA. It's five horsepower. It's a volcanic stone corn grinder. It's in the garage behind the restaurant. We originally had to have it shipped to Kelly's house because the restaurant was still under construction and it was in her basement and we learned how to grind corn in her basement, which was hilarious. It was moved there by piano movers. It's that big. It's that heavy. Uh, And now our organic field corn that is non-GMO and naturally gluten-free forms the backbone of what we do at Chico today. And it's been a wild ride, and there's still so much to learn. That's what I was was just about to say. You're still learning. You didn't just say we want to immerse ourselves in this food and culture and do it and then leave it at that. You have to keep refreshing, and then you've got staff that you want to you have to bring into the yeah it's a great excuse to, to travel the, Col- the kool-aid yeah it's a great ex- ex- excuse yeah um and so but uh were there any other cuisines that you were considering other than did you go right there or you know uh, you said you didn't consider italian but yeah was there anything else or, or was that a pretty quick decision to go um, hey let's do this because- i don't remember honestly i think we we talked about new mexico a little bit it was more about like what seems exciting and what is there a need for in Portland? Um, and, and Mexican food was the one that we hit on. Yeah. And, and as soon as we, you know, sort of made that decision, it was just, um, steam kept building because, I knew about mezcal and had this experience with mezcal. And then I was like, these things will go together really well, right? We'll do mezcal and we'll do Mexican food. And it'll be like nowhere else in this town. It is. There isn't anything else like it. So for the uninitiated, um, would you? can you suggest so, uh, some dishes that people might want to experiment with that are delicious that they may not have had before? Because that's what I've always found there that I've... Oh, on the menu at Chico? Yeah, Yeah, sure. Well, we consider our chips our gateway drug because, you know, if you eat chips that are made from freshly ground corn, they are a different ballgame. There are two dishes on the menu that I would really recommend trying right now. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a tamale plate Mm -hmm. uh, with two yellow corn tamales and one blue corn tamale, three different fillings. One is fava beans, one are Oaxacan black beans that have pasilla Oaxaca chilies in them. And one is um, quesillo, which is Oaxacan cheese. Um, you will get to try three beautiful, delicious types of masa in that dish. And there are blue corn tostadas with squid agua chile that I think are fantastic. And agua chile is a preparation where you burn chilies and onions and garlic until they're basically carbon Mm -hmm. and you turn that into uh, a marinade. So super fun, very unusual for here anyway. That's great. And the other thing about Chico that I always, it stood out to me was desserts were fantastic because I first started going when Mindy, Mindy was on the podcast, so I I got to go try these and then ended up bringing friends, say, let's go do like a dessert amakase over there. Yeah, our dessert program is smaller than it used to be. Um, Now we have Pinolo Gelato right next door to us and Salt and Straw down the street. So a lot of people go have dessert somewhere else. 
Um, but we have a mezcal rhubarb popsicle on the dessert menu right now that mm-hmm. is great. Um, and we also use a lot of cacao and cacao nibs that are unsweetened and make for interesting chocolate desserts. Fantastic. Yeah. So we just ended with dessert, and I don't know how fast, maybe that that two-minute block for you went really slowly, <laughs> but this it's an hour okay, almost. Okay, cool. That went fast, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it went fast. I uh, want to thank you and Kelly, because I know you talked to Kelly, I assume you talked to Kelly and said, yeah. what are you comfortable with here? So um, both of you, um, for coming on the podcast and and telling the story and also for allowing us to come in and uh, do what we can and expose your restaurant to as many people in its most delightful fashion. Yeah, well, thank you for offering to do it. I think it will be really fun for people, and there's already been a lot of interest. I put a little note about it in our newsletter yesterday. Oh, good. So people I are have excited. to go check to make sure I put the, the well, by the time this... This podcast starts uh, airing, and it's definitely for sale, but I'm not sure if it is today. I have to yeah, make sure. I'm not sure. So, um, But at any rate, thank you so much, and we'll look forward to that. And uh, uh, so don't if you, if you can't or don't come to our event, mm-hmm. still go to Chico yeah. and, um, and patronize Chico, and it's, that's a public service announcement because that is a— no, that's a great, you yeah. know, so many choices in Portland. And I find that's always a good one because it's not the same old thing. It's yeah. unique we just and fresh. Put on, we just started a, a new thing called the Breakeven Bottle of the Month. And so we're putting a, a, an expensive Boy, that's an mezcal. industry mindset. This is super awesome. We're putting an <laughs> expensive mezcal on the menu at cost. So you can try really interesting, hard-to-find mezcal for $3 for a half ounce. Right, and you can also learn a little inside restaurant business and knowing what it costs. There you go. There you go. So <laughs> that's a great idea. So we'll, I'm getting in there before then, and we'll see you then, and we'll see you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. 